0: This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify.
0: Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunsey. Now, in Britain, last night something remarkable happened. There were two by-elections. The Tory party held both seats and they lost one in Yorkshire, in Wakefield, which they weren't expected to hold. It was a 3,000 majority and they lost it and it reverted back to being a Labour seat. But the one that has really caused something of a sensation was in Devon, in Tiverton, where the Tories had a 24,000 majority. That was overturned. There was a 30% swing to Lib Dems, and it is now a Lib Dem seat with a majority of 6,132. It is one of the biggest reverses any government has ever experienced, and, of course, it's being blamed on Boris Johnson. And to discuss this now, we're joined by Chris Johns, former Chief Economist of the Bank of Ireland. Chris is now a respected commentator, and he's talking to us from London. Chris, this is Boris getting his just desserts, many people believe, and Oliver Dowden, who resigned as chairman of the party at 5.30 a.m. this morning, before he was due to go on television and make the usual excuses, in his letter his resignation letter, he said he continued to support the Conservative Party. But notably, he did not say he continued to support the Prime Minister.
2: Absolutely right. The airwaves have been full of um, quotes from Dowden over the last few years because he was, up until this morning, one of Johnson's big supporters. Um, one political columnist put it very well, It's, and I, I will quote from this, it, he says that it's staggering. That Dowden, who has demeaned himself most for Johnson's inane culture wars, now claims to have standards. Dowden, um, Rory Stewart, whom I've mentioned to you before, um, said that he was a high flyer who abandoned One Nation conservatism, bet his reputation on becoming a cheerleader for Johnson, and was rewarded with a cabinet seat. So this is a man who subsumed his own values, assuming he had them in the first place, in order to become a Johnson supporter, and now he has resigned as chairman of the Conservative Party. With that chairmanship came a cabinet seat. Um, It was a minister without portfolio, so presumably he's gone from the cabinet as well. And it's notable that there were three big supporters early on in Johnson's um, campaign to become leader of the Conservative Party back in the day. One was Dowden, another was a guy called Robert Jenrick, and another was a chap called Rishi Sunak, the current Chancellor of the Exchequer. Yes. And they are now three examples of people who came within Johnson's orbit and had been completely eviscerated as a result of coming into proximity to Boris Johnson. It's a pattern that Johnson has repeated over decades. If you come close to him, you end up becoming damaged goods. And all eyes now are on Rishi Sunak, Um, There is, I I guess it's slightly febrile, but there is speculation that he may also be the next one to walk. And um, I think that that's speculation, but he must be considering his position. And sources close to Sunak this morning, as the papers say, are are saying that he is considering his position, as they say. But um, it, it won't be the last resignation. I I suspect, Mr. Dowden.
0: No, and the question now that arises, can Johnson govern with any authority? He had the vote of confidence, which he won a fortnight ago. Technically, that means that the 1922 committee, which oversees these matters, can't hold another vote of confidence in him for 12 months. However... Sir Graham Brady, who is the chair of the 1922 committee, reminded people recently that they have the power to move that 12-month stay of execution if they feel it's necessary. So he could face another vote of confidence, and when Tories are beginning to do the sums based on the Tiverton results, and the sums make for very unpleasant reading, they'd lose the next election. But as you say, it's worse than that. Really, this fellow's hollowed out the Tory Party, hasn't he? And I, I go back repeatedly to your description of the cabinet as a mixture of right-wing hacks, journalists, and after-dinner speakers. They are some of them are known to be intemperate, but some of them are low lives. Well, yes, they really, absolutely. They really are. I mean, Jacob yeah. Rees-Mogg, Pretty Patel with her Rwanda scheme, Nadine Doris who wants to privatize Channel 4 and take the license fee away from the BBC, is the Minister for Culture. She used to be on, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. I mean, he really, really has destroyed the Tory party and all the decent people in it.
2: Somebody, uh, uh, an ordinary Englishman, asked me the other day, what on earth is going on in the country and how could this have all come to pass? And, of course, it's, it's difficult... To, to try and describe just why it's all happened, why there is this cabinet of non-entities and incompetence and all the other words that we might use to, to describe them. But I go back to a simple metaphor, which is that it, it, my theory is it's the rotten apple theory, that, that you, you have what are basically decent people um, in c- close to this rotten apple, and you know who I'm talking yeah. about, and gradually they all become contaminated and end up like the rotten apple. It only takes one, and I think we're watching that. In real time, there's another politician in the UK connected to the 1922 committee that certainly I hadn't heard much of before, and I suspect you haven't heard of him. A guy called Sir Geoffrey Clifton Brown, yeah. who is the treasurer of the 1992 committee. Um, uh, sorry, the 1922 <laughs> committee, and uh, he reminded us only this morning that the rules could be changed. And when asked, would he lose his seat? if the vote yesterday was repeated, he said, yeah, I'd lose my seat. So these Tory MPs are now very, very worried. A lot of people will, of course, be saying, okay, it's just midterm blues, midterm by-elections don't signify anything. Johnson himself speaking from Kigali, ironically, in Rwanda this morning, has mm-hmm. said exactly that, you know, and um, when asked would he now resign, looked genuinely astonished when, when asked that question and asked the interviewer, are you crazy? He, he genuinely thought it was the most ridiculous question. But, now, but it's becoming a pattern that he is losing by-elections. Um, Tony Blair, a very successful prime minister, by some accounts, anyway, um, during his three term of office, fought 28 by elections. Do you know how many he lost? No. None. Really? And the. Um, didn't
0: hold on the, after they invaded Iraq, did
2: he? Well, we'll
0: I take the point.
2: Yeah. And um, it's actually a bit of an urban myth that by elections don't signify anything. Sometimes they do. But but sometimes they don't. And there have been plenty of times in Conservative Party history when they've had a run of bad by-election results and then gone on to lose the next general election. So sometimes they do signify something. Um, the people are clearly on manoeuvres. Your old friend, David Frost, is essentially writing application letters for the job at the moment, causing people like me to Google, can a non-MP become prime minister?
0: Well, hey, Lord but, Frost now, isn't he?
2: yes. Lord David Frost, yes. Mm. And under the good chap theory of um, non-codified governance in the UK, it's not actually necessary for somebody to be an MP to be um, prime minister. Uh, it's, it's the prerogative of the Queen, actually. She could, in Roman Emperor style, appoint her horse to be prime minister yes. if she wanted to. But certainly David Frost is putting himself up, along with many others, um, for th- what they consider, I suspect, to be an imminent vacancy.
0: Now, his... Time as Prime Minister is full of party and other indiscretions and some disgraces. Owen Patterson, for example, a former Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, was a stroker. He was caught doing things he shouldn't be doing in terms of taking money to lobby. He was found by the Parliamentary Standards Committee to be guilty and Johnson scrapped the rule under which he was made guilty. This happened about a year, 18 months ago. There was a subsequent by-election because Patterson resigned and they lost that seat. But it's no surprise that he is a man with very little character, if any.
2: Absolutely. And that um, by-election that you refer to there, where they lost the seat just over a year ago, that was the second biggest swing to the Tory um, from the Tories to the Lib Dems, um, yesterday's by-election was the third biggest in his, in history. Um, and it was the 12th biggest by-election swing overall, um, since they started, since records started with, it has to be said, high turnout. So it's looking ominous for the Tories because the pattern within the votes in both by-elections yesterday was essentially an informal, and I stress informal, pact between Labour and the Lib Dems. And that's what will get Conservative Party strategists, I think, giving them nightmares.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, he's damaged Ireland and is in the process through Liz Truss, the Foreign Secretary, of trying to get legislation through the House, which is deeply damaging to us, this country – and, of course, to the European Union, he got involved in the Owen Patterson affair. He didn't need to get involved when a dodgy, a dodgy MP is caught doing the wrong thing, has to go. Why does he feel compelled to dive in? This is
2: the pattern that he has established all through his career. I'm, I'm reading a book at the moment about Augustus, the first Roman emperor, And the parallels between the the rise and decline of the Roman Empire and the kind of behaviour of Roman politicians and Boris Johnson, I think, reveals that he, you know, he is a a classicist who wears his learning very lightly, and he he behaves sometimes in in, in very much ancient Roman times. I mean, the the story that went around at the time of the Owen Paterson affair was that Johnson was returning to London from a trip to Scotland and was diverted to the Garrick Club, which is a gentleman's club, um very posh, in Covent Garden in London, where there was a dinner being held for Charles Moore, yes. the ex-editor of the Daily Telegraph. And the story, for whatever it's worth, that went around is that he was nobbled about Owen Paterson by attendees at that dinner. And that's when he turned up a couple of hours later in Westminster, with this plot to do his friend Owen Patterson and presumably Owen Pat- Patterson's friends um, that he would just met a favour, and he's clearly a man who believes that he can do anything; that there are no rules, there are no limits. That famous letter from his Eton housemaster, that has been published many, many times about him, said exactly that. This is a boy who became the man who believes that there are no constraints; that no, the rules do not apply to him. There's evidence to suggest he's believed this since he was a child, and there's evidence in his behavior ever since he was a child entirely consistent with that hypothesis. It's a, He's yes. a man who, like a Roman emperor, doesn't believe the rules apply to him.
0: And he keeps getting away with it. I, and now you're somebody who lives there or s- spends a lot of time there. I know you still spend a lot of time here. Is this reversible or, in my view, it's not and I lived in Britain for a long time, I think once the British have washed their hands of you, there's no way back. And I thought before last night, I was discussing it with a couple of friends, who said 24,000 is a, a big, big majority. I said, he's got, he's a goner. There, it'll be a, a vote against him, and they will turn out. The turnout wasn't bad, and it wasn't just Tories staying at home. It was Tories coming out and saying, this man isn't fit for office. And that's the charge, isn't it, at the moment, that he is not fit to hold the office of Prime Minister.
2: It was a high turnout. It was the 11th biggest by-election turnout since 1997, and there have been quite a lot of them. So it wasn't the biggest, but it certainly was significant. Um, What do the British people think? Well, I think very clearly um, it's about him, um, the Conservative Party and Johnson, in particular, are saying that it's—they're uh, blaming the cost of living crisis for yeah. the vote. Um, there has been a poll done of Conservative and non-voters, as it turns out, in in the in one of these by-elections. Uh, when they asked why did you vote the way you did, in other words, why did you not vote Conservative this time? And top of the list, guess what? It was Boris Johnson's character and all all of the events that go with it. And the cost of living crisis came well down the list. So when they're asked, they say it's Johnson. So replicated across the country, if there was a general election now, as you say, they would almost certainly be wiped out. There's lots of vagaries associated with the British political system that may mean that the most likely outcome, if there was a general election, actually would be a hung parliament. In order for, for um, let Keir Starmer to become prime minister, I think he needs probably a few Scottish SNP seats in the bag. So that, that, that's all very technical to do with the, the, the first-past-the-post constituency system that we have here. But certainly the British people are fed up with him. That's what they're saying by this vote. That's what they're telling focus group researchers. That's what they're telling opinion opinion pollsters but you know johnson isn't going anywhere and you know the only way they're going to get him out this side of 12 months is to change the rules of the 1922 committee process they may or may not do that the only way they're going to get him out is by you know the conservative party backbenchers discovering a backbone discovering somehow or other they do have some character some ethics um but he clearly himself is not going he's not going to resign and there are no circumstances that I could imagine that he would resign. I mean, there's still a couple of years before the next general election. Again, there's been feeble speculation that he may call an early one to get, to try and put all of this behind him. But I, th- I don't think anybody would be advising him to do that in the wake of these results. That talk is now starting, starting to fade. But, you know, a couple of years is a long time. Um, it's been famously said that a week is a long time in politics. Yeah. Events could conspire to bring back his popularity.
0: on the Northern Ireland protocol, is provocative and it's unpleasant. And the Americans, including Joe Biden in the last 48 hours, have warned the British that it's not going to wash. And it will be brought up. He's going to a G7 meeting from his present engagement in Rwanda. And Britain is not going to get a trade deal. Certainly with this administration, he will be hoping, of course, that The Republicans win the midterms. But he is fighting with Europe. He's fighting with the United States of America, with whom they're hoping to get a trade deal. But more importantly, Chris, and this is your area of expertise particularly, the British economy, the OECD figures show that in terms of growth, only Russia will have grown less than the United Kingdom in the next 12 months. So on its current trajectory, the British economy is in a very, very seriously bad state.
2: You mentioned, first of all, the Northern Line Protocol. It's significant that that's coming to the House of Commons, I think, this Monday. Um, So it's going to be very live next week. So um, do keep your eye on that. It it, it is um, an explosive issue for all the reasons that we've discussed. He's endangering
0: Um, the Good Friday Agreement whilst claiming... You know, this is the, the kind of lies that really offend people. He's claiming to try to save the Good Friday Agreement. What he's doing, actually, is, is posing a really serious threat to the Good Friday Agreement and to one of its essential features, that is no hard border on the island. I mean, This is vandalism.
2: Yes, vandalism, performative politics, there are all sorts of nasty labels we could attach to this. I think one of the most significant aspects of the Northern Ireland Protocol issue is that this is all? A, this is a confected, made-up row. Yes. And um, you remember, and we've talked about this before. That uh, last year, would he or would he not trigger, trigger Article 16? That was always the the, the talking point. Yeah. They, the the much better way, ironically, than the route he's gone down is um, to have triggered Article 16. That would have been an interim step. This is the finals. You know, straw for europe um that they will not they do not think that they are negotiating with anybody in good faith, they do not think they are negotiating with anybody that will honor any agreement that they now reach about the Northern Ireland Protocol, though they do stand ready to negotiate they they simply do not trust this man, and yes, he is playing fast and loose with the Good Friday Agreement, but Eamon, he doesn't care
0: he no, really no doesn't. doesn't care we, we know that he's amoral he's nihilistic he's, he's he is. A, a thoroughly bad piece of work. Is there anyone in the Tory party who could feasibly stand against him? You talked about Rory Stewart, who stood against him last time and was knocked out very early. He seems an eminently intelligent person of with probity and decency. He was knocked out early on. I mean, is there somebody, and I'm thinking of Sajid Javid, for example, who is now the Minister for Health, but was appointed Chancellor by Johnson, at one stage didn't last long. Are there people who could credibly stand against him if the 1922 committee do decide to amend the rules and have another vote about whether or not he has the confidence of his party?
2: This is one of the reasons why a lot of political analysts said that they didn't vote no confidence in him, that he he managed to scrape through his slim majority for that vote is that the Tory party can't answer the question that you've just asked. Yes. is that who would replace him? And because there is no nobody obvious. They somewhat cowardly, in a cowardly fashion, decided to stick with the devil that they know. Because it, it, what you need to know, apparently, if you are a Conservative MP in these situations, is trying to gauge what is the, the best thing to do from, from your own career point of view yeah. is who is likely to succeed the person I'm about to vote out and because they can't answer that question because there is no obvious candidate you asked is there a credible candidate that's a different a uh, different question. One of the rumours going around Westminster this morning is Sajid Javid is suddenly inviting a lot of friends and advisors to garden cocktail parties over the next few weeks, and that's deemed to be the, the, the classic sign of somebody starting to go out on manoeuvres, canvassing for yeah. support for his leadership bid. As I mentioned earlier on, I think uh, Frost, Lord Frost, um, so, somewhat Bill's incredibly...
0: Barton. He's got no chance.
2: He's also pitching for, for leadership. Um, the ex L- Health Secretary, Mr. Hunt, who went to the wire with um, Johnson the last time around, is clearly clearly hoping to make a comeback. Um, I imagine that Rishi Sunak is considering, as I said earlier on, his own career position this morning. Um, and certainly if he were to resign from the cabinet, I would have thought that would precipitate the final crisis for the 1922 committee to change their rules, and if, if he did resign, that would be a sign that he's going to run. But it's not obvious about, A, who would win that vote, and B, whether they would be any better than Johnson, because the most likely candidate that is mentioned in terms of who will get the most votes in the whole electoral process of the next prime minister, of course, is the foreign secretary, Liz Truss, <laughs> <Of> whom, <laughs> yes, a... you might laugh. Dominic Cummings famously said recently, of all the, the people who are crackers in the House of Commons, she is the most crackers of all.
0: She is, um, yeah. There's no doubt about that. I think once she was in the tank trying to emulate, well, emulating, in fact, a famous photo op that Margaret Thatcher did with a helmet on, standing up in a tank. That was very early days in her ministry, I think at that stage. We maybe wrote her off. But there is somebody of standing that interests me. Michael Gove, who stabbed Johnson in the back when Johnson was going to run before Theresa May got the job. Gove has been very quiet, and there may be issues there around certain elements of his life. But he is somebody who is extremely able, and he's the minister for levelling up, isn't he?
2: He is. That's his in, informal title. And that's the task that Johnson has given him. You're right that he's been quiet. One of the most striking things about media, social and otherwise today, unlike previous episodes, there's been the lack of cabinet and other MP support tweeting and blogging and coming on the airwaves, giving their undying support for Johnson. One or two have, but in the past, it's always been dozens of them. So, so that's noticeable. And as you say, Gove, is very quiet. He's clearly, like all of the others now, on manoeuvres. And I mentioned that I'm watching to see what Sunak does with respect to his own position. But the other one I'm watching is Michael Gove. Because I'm not sure that he would consider himself a candidate for the highest office. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But I suspect he would like a top job in the next administration. So the way in which you actually, if you you really wanted to get Johnson out and you are a Conservative Cabinet Minister this morning, I think if I was Gove, I would go to Sunak and say, right, Rishi, it's time. It's time for jo- for Johnson to go. We, between us, should form the next leadership of the party. I will back you if you promise me either the chancellorship or a foreign secretary job, um, you know, t- deputy prime minister as well. Give me a top job in the next cabinet and let's resign both of us today. That would be the, the, That would be the tactic that yeah. I would use.
0: Let me ask you finally, Chris, about Fleet Street and in particular about the newspapers. The Daily Express is just a comic, to be honest. I mean, they have pro Boris headlines every morning and they'll have one tomorrow morning as well. They'll find one. But in general, the press has a a role to play, a huge role in how the public perceive politics and politicians. How the press reacts to him now will be a test of <laughs> the ingenuity of the press, but also a test for Johnson, surely.
2: Absolutely, and you know, you've know, you mentioned the Express, the Mail is, a, is another paper that supports him, the Telegraph, the media generally are very Tory-leaning, but they are also pretty unsentimental as well, yeah. and if they sniff that Johnson is history, they too, a bit like my comments about Michael Gove, um, going on manoeuvres, thinking about the tactics for the next government. They too will now start thinking about their position when it comes to the next leader and the next government and where they are in terms of the hierarchy of contacts that they have with Westminster, um, the parties that they get invited to, the information flows that they want to continue to have. And if you see any of these key newspapers starting to switch their allegiance or even Um, I don't expect this, but it's theoretically possible, at least one of them saying, um, sadly, it's time to go, then that really would be a key moment. But don't underestimate the extent to which these kinds of newspapers do support this man. Um, There have been lots of stories floating around. I think you've discussed them on your show today about how they've spiked, managed to spike some Rather lurid stories about a yes. job for, for for Carrie Johnson in yep. the past this week. So um, the, the the level of support for Johnson in Fleet Street is is, is pretty strong. Um, but and as a result, if it started to crack, if you saw signs of it starting to fade away, then it, the writing quite literally is on the wall.
0: Okay, thank you very much indeed for joining us today, Chris. I was just thinking there of Max Hastings, former editor of the Daily Telegraph, and a fine writer of books about military matters a military historian who uh, uh, once had the pleasure of having johnson on his staff and who wrote a famous piece saying he was not fit not only to be prime minister but to be anything else but max hastings is not yet in the house of lords chris johns i'm very grateful to you for joining us thank you very much and thanks to everyone who listened That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more.